tonight to the book of Hebrews, the second chapter. Hebrews chapter 2. We'll be looking at numerous scripture passages tonight, but all under the context of what we hear here in Hebrews chapter 2. We'll be reading a large portion of chapter 1 later as well. So I invite you to keep your scriptures open. Hebrews chapter 2. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested by those to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, what is man, that you are mindful of him, Or the son of man that you care for him. You made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor. Putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him. He left nothing outside his control. At present we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels. Namely Jesus crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he by whom and by whom all things, it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who, through fear of death, were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let's again bow in prayer. Dear Lord, we open your word at this time, your perfect and holy word, and expound upon 
this portion. We ask that thou be with Pastor Bob and give him the words to say through thy Holy Spirit so that we may go out and spread your word as well as we come unto people on a daily basis. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Message is entitled tonight, The Existence of Angels. You might think that not a necessary subject for a sermon. If you already believe in their existence, good. You're in good, solid, firm territory. But what we believe about those angels perhaps is a little bit more up in question. Do we have our facts right? Do we know what Scripture says in regards to them? And do we know their purpose? Do we know why there exist angels in this world? And so as we begin this series, as we've taken a look at at Satan and his fall and the demons who fell with him, we we step back and we, we realize that all of this, the creation of this angelic host, is all part of the work of God for a very set purpose and plan. And that angels are a very real purpose And are very much a part of God's plan. Perhaps we become a little too scared of the subject of angels. Because we see the damage it does. We see how various churches, spiritism, angelism. Lifts them out of their proper place and recognition in God's word. And therefore perhaps we avoid it too much. Perhaps it's out of a fear of the supernatural. Perhaps it's out of a fear of of, uh, having to think and reflect upon a world that is filled not only with angelic forces, but also demonic forces as well. It just makes us too uncomfortable, so we just decide not to deal with it until it's Christmas, and then we think about them for a little while, but then we put them out of mind. It would seem that God, in his revelation to his people, had a different plan and purpose for us. He wants us not only to be aware of them, he wants us to understand them and to recognize their purpose in our lives and for his purposes as well. So first of all, we're just going to spend a few minutes on the fact of their existence, something I would hope we we probably don't need to spend too much time in. But secondly, the manner of their existence. In in what way do angels exist? And then thirdly, tonight, the purpose of their existence. As it sort of lays the foundation. Okay, now, now as we go through scripture and we begin to see how God uses these beings, how is it that that God is teaching us something through his use of these beings? angelic beings. First of all, the fact of their existence. Scripture's testimony speaks to it. Let me just read again the beginning of Psalm 148. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him in the heights. Praise Him, all His angels. Praise Him, all His hosts. Does the Scripture acknowledge the existence of angels. 
You have to read Psalm 148 and say, and come to the conclusion, well, of course. Or we could go to Isaiah chapter 6, where Isaiah has his vision. He's in the temple, and there he sees these seraphim around the throne of God. Does the Bible acknowledge the existence of angels? And again, we'd have to say, of course it does. Let me ask you a question. How many times do you think the Bible acknowledges the existence of angels? How many times does Scripture confirm to us that there are these beings that exist, created by God, that inhabit? 20 times? 30 times? Maybe we'll push the envelope 50 times. The answer is we're far, far too less. Depending on your various translations that we have, where some words are translated perhaps differently in some context, there's somewhere between 295 and 305 references to angels. There are 116 of those, or thereabouts, in the Old Testament. There's actually more in the New Testament, 175. Of the 66 books of the Bible, 34 of them contain a reference to an angel or angels. It would appear that God has splashed his revelation from beginning to end with these creatures. And if God is here revealing to us that which is of most importance, that which is needed and necessary for us to know, then certainly the work, the involvement of angels in our world, God is telling us is of importance for us to know. Historically, as well as the reality of that today, in our own lives. And he does so not for our uncomfortableness, but for our peace, for our comfort, to be a blessing to us. As I mentioned last Lord's Day, we find it in our creeds and confessions as well. Not only do, do scriptures acknowledge that, but we find it in, in the confession. Uh, I'll note, first of all, the confession of faith, the Belgic Confession, Article 12. He also created the angels good to be his messengers and to serve his elect. Or we can go to the Westminster Larger Catechism where we read in question 15, what is the work of creation? The work of creation is that wherein God did in the beginning by the word of his power, making of nothing the world and all things therein for himself within the space of six days and all very good. Question 16, how did God create angels? God created all the angels, spirits, immortal, holy, excelling in knowledge, mighty in power, to execute his judgments and to praise his name, yet subject to change. Now the question is, did our, did our Reformed fathers acknowledge this existence? Of course they did. Why do they acknowledge it? With all the hoopla that was going on, with all the, the pagan ideas that was taking place, both within the Catholic Church and without in the society as a whole. Why, why do they bring the subject up? 
Because it's in God's word. Scripture testifies to it and we do not shy away from it. We acknowledge its truth, we confess its truth, and we seek to understand and to apply its truth to our heart and to our lives. Secondly then, what is the manner of their existence? Here we go back to the book of Hebrews. I want you to look at verse 14 of chapter 1. The verse just before the scripture passage that we began with. Are they not all ministering spirits? Now the question is, who is the they? Go back to verse 13. And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits? So the they is in reference back to the last one that has been acknowledged, which are angels. Angels then, first of all, we have to understand, are spirits. That is the first thing to get right, to get straight about this whole angel phenomena that we find revealed in the scriptures. They are spirits. In other words, they have no physical body. They have no flesh and blood. They are not like us. They are not like us, just bigger. They are not like us, just brighter. They are not like us, they just glow. They have no body. They are spirits in that manner. Because they are spirits... In that way, we never read that the angels have been created in the image of God. There is a distinction between us and the angelic realm. Because they are spirits, there is no marriage amongst them. There is no new angels. There aren't little new little angels. Mom and dad angels don't have little angels. There aren't mom and dad angels giving, having little children that they call cherubs and they're running around with their nice little wings and chubby little bellies and flinging arrows. There are no such things. There are the angels that God has created and that is it. There's no marriage. No children. No death. An angel never dies. Angels are not eternal in that they have a beginning. They are created by God. So we do not say that angels are eternal. Angels are everlasting. They have a starting point at which God commanded and the angel hosts came into being, into existence, but they shall never cease. They go on throughout all eternity. They will cohabit with us Glory, forever and ever and ever. The angels who have fallen shall not be destroyed. They shall not be eliminated. They shall not be annihilated. They shall forever dwell in the torments of hell along with those who never gave their heart and soul to Jesus Christ, who were never justified by faith, to use our language of morning series. They shall forever live and dwell in that torment as spirits 
So that's the first thing we need, we need to be reminded of. And, and you know, it, it's, it's difficult for us, but, you know, we, you know, the pictures painted in the Sistine Chapel, the, the pictures we see at, at, at Art Prize and so on, always give faces and shapes to, to these creatures. Now, hang on to what I'm saying, but as a being, they are spirits. In that manner, they are like God. God is spirit, and they that worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. God, like angels, has no physical body. That's what God reveals to us here in this text. The second thing to note is that angels are powerful. They are powerful creatures. They are, they are more powerful than men. And, and by power here, we mean, we mean strength. That it is angels who have been given and have been granted a certain sense of, of power. If you go back or, uh, to Psalm 103, the words that are used there to describe angels... It's verse 20. Bless the Lord. Sorry, I realize you're still turning. Psalm 103, verse 20. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Those of you who understand Hebrew poetry will will see what's going on here in this parallelism that's taking place. We have the angels mentioned. Who are the angels of the second part of that? They are the mighty ones who do his word. They're the same. So angels are mighty. And that's God's word to describe them. They are mighty. They are powerful. There is a strength that is attributed to angels. That is not given to mankind. Hence, we read in Psalm 8, and as we read here in Hebrews chapter 2, man is made a little lower than the angels. What does that phrase mean? He's made a little lower than the angels. Well, it means he's not, man is not nearly as powerful as the angels are. Man deals with flesh and blood. Angels do not. Man is a little lower than the angels. Man has to deal with limitations because of his physical body. There are limitations placed upon our physical body that we cannot do certain things that angels can. So in that respect, we are made a little lower than the angels. The passage even goes on to say that even for a period of time, Christ subjected himself to that. That's why we also did the Athanasian Creed, to remind us of the fact that he is not only truly God, but he was truly man. He was not a mighty angel. The the fact that Jesus came, he did not come as sort of God combined with man. Oh, that sounds like maybe he was an angel. So while Jesus was here, he was a mighty angel. No. He was fully God and fully man. He is not an angel. Hebrews 2, he was made a little lower than the angels. Why? 
in the sense that his body also was subjected to the things of this world. His body tired. He needed food. He needed water. His body felt pain. Those things are limitations that are upon us as human beings that we experience in our flesh. A spirit does not experience those type of limitations. The manner of their existence. They are spirits. They are powerful. I want to put down Matthew 28, 2, uh, Acts 5, 19, 2 Peter 2, 11. Okay, all, all different references that show us and picture for us that, that angels are doing something far beyond the capacity of a human being to do. Because they have been given that mighty strength by God himself. That's the way they are created. Thirdly, in the manner of their existence, they are knowledgeable. Turn with me to Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9. In the midst of Daniel receiving a a variety of revelations, in the ninth chapter, starting at verse 20, we read an, an interesting exchange that takes place. Daniel has just spent the first part of chapter 9 praying for his people. Look at verse 20. While I was still speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking to me and saying, O Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. An angel possesses more knowledge than you and I as human beings do. We are made a little lower than the angels. We're bodies, we're flesh and blood. We're less in terms of power than they are. We're less in terms of knowledge. Now, having said those things, we need to remind ourselves of the fact that there are limitations then upon them as spirits as well. They are not God. They are created by God. So they are created beings. They are not almighty. Only God is almighty. So they are not all-powerful, nor are they omniscient in the fact that they know everything. There is a limitation to their knowledge. One of the young people this morning actually asked me a question after, after church, and I didn't, don't think he realized how he was leading into this uh, to be used in this evening. But his question was uh, basically along this line. Do angels know who are saved? Well, we could answer that in a couple of ways. They know it after the fact. But they are not omniscient. In other words, they do not know who the elect are. 
That, that is beyond their knowledge. That is beyond their ability. You say, well, why do you say that? Because Ephesians tells us, when do we have the understanding of the elect? The elect are before the foundations of the world. Were there angels before the foundations of the world? No. Because they're created beings. So they're limited in the knowledge and the scope in terms of God's election and predestination, we might say. Do you think for a moment, let, let, just stop and consider this one, okay, as, as you think about limitations. Do you think that Satan knew the outcome of the cross? If so, why would he want Christ to die? Because the outcome of the cross is what? Salvation. The last thing Satan would want then is for that to occur. Now, does he have some knowledge? Yes. Is he aware of some things? Of course. Is he more knowledgeable than you and I are as human beings, being an angel? Yes. But his knowledge is limited. He's not a co-god as we tried to strive to point out last Lord's Day. So, so angels have these limitations in terms of what they know. Yet, what they know is far more than you and I know on certain things. Well, it would have to be, wouldn't it? Because where do angels reside? In the presence of God. I think they'd have a little more knowledge about the being of God than me. They who have been in glory would certainly know more about God than I would. That would just be another example of it. And we could go on and on. There is a fourth way that we have to understand is the manner of their existence. I doubt this is a word. I didn't look it up. This I don't care if it's a word, I'll just invent it. Angels are transformable. Angels can take on a human appearance. I cannot take on a spirit appearance. But angels have that ability. I'll give you a couple of examples. Think of uh, the visitors will come to this, this account later on in, in Genesis where Abraham receives visitors. And as far as Abraham is concerned, these are three pretty ordinary guys who have come to his, his table. He, he recognizes they're unique, he recognizes they're different, but he has no clue that they're angels and Jesus Christ. Why? Because they're not glowing white. They're not radiant. They appear to him as ordinary human beings. Mrs. Manoah, and I say it's Mrs. Manoah because we have no knowledge of her name. She's just the wife of Manoah, so she's Mrs. Manoah. Says to her husband, when the angel comes to announce the birth of Samson, come see the man who has told me. It's not like she's going, wow, there was this guy in dazzling white. It's just a man. It's just a man. Angels have that ability. 
Now, we would say that's a God-given ability. It's not an innate ability. But, but angels, in their spirit, can appear at times as men. Hence, you have Hebrews 13, verse 2. We have entertained angels unaware. If I think of the normal understanding of an angel with wings and brightness and shining, I think I'd understand it if they walked into church some Sunday. Hey, we got an angel visitor in the back, right? But if I entertain them unaware, it would mean I can't tell the difference between an angel and a human being at times. I'm not given that ability to do because angels can do that. Did you also notice that in that passage of Daniel chapter 9, that Gabriel comes to him swiftly? There, there's a movement. There's an ability to move, to be transported in a way that you and I as flesh and blood cannot do. We are limited in that way. We have been made a little lower than the angels. So when you think of those four things, maybe it helps you to understand that psalm a little bit better. And as the author of Hebrews is using it here in Hebrews to say, yes, Jesus took on not the flesh, not the spirit of an angel, Jesus became one of us. Do you realize the humility of that? Do you realize that the very Son of God, who is above these angels, who has no limitations because he is God of God, very God of very God, made himself a little lower than the angel for your salvation and for mine? Oh, the love of Christ. See, it's only when we understand the, 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 the existence or the manner in which angels exist do we begin to, 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 to really begin to comprehend a little bit more what it meant that Christ became one of us. He didn't even stop at the other stage. He became one of us. And he humbled himself, says Paul in Philippians, even unto death. See, an angel doesn't die. But that isn't what Christ became. Because of all the limitations of angels, here's the one, it's not on the sheet, you've got to add it. You've got to add this note. They never experience salvation. The number of angels that has fallen is set. The number of angels that are saved is set. No angel is ever saved. That's what Hebrews 2 is reminding us of as well. But Jesus took on our flesh and blood to save us. It reminds us of the text in the New Testament. Oh, how the angels long. They long to look into this subject of salvation. They long to understand its concept. They long to understand that kind of love, that kind of mercy, that kind of grace. There is a longing and the part of a of this creation of God that, that mankind actually is a little lower than. But they, when they look at man, are longing to know 
what salvation is. It's no wonder the author of Hebrews comes to us in that second chapter with, with those pleading words. And what will become of us if we neglect so great a salvation? Here it is. It's before us. It's to you and I. It's not offered to the angels. It's not offered to Satan. It's offered to you and I. Salvation comes to us. And it comes to us in the person of one of us. In our flesh and blood. In the person of Jesus Christ who suffers and dies for us. What shall become of us if we neglect so great a salvation? Only the fear of what it means to fall into the hands of an angry God. But you see, we're not neglecting that salvation, are we? That which angels are longing to look into is that which you and I not only believe, not only confess, but we experience in our hearts. We know what salvation is. We know what it means to be the scum of the earth. That God, by His grace, has transformed, has converted We know the glory of Christ's righteousness. We know the beauty of God's love. We know the wonder of forgiveness. Angels are peering over God. I wonder what that's like. You and I know know it because God's truth reveals it to us. We know it because we have experienced it in our own heart. Thirdly, the purpose of their existence. Why are there why did God do this? Why why did God create this realm of angelic hosts? Why are they there? Four things. One, they're there to worship. God's word reminds us of that over and over. I I referenced the Isaiah chapter 6 passage, which would be one text we could look at. If we go back to Hebrews chapter 1, pick it up with me at verse 5 of Hebrews 1. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you? Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. There's their purpose. God's angels are there to worship and to adore, to praise, to exalt, to glorify his name. He created these spirits great power of knowledge, being able to to be transformed in, in so many ways, yet with all those limitations, but they are there to worship Him. Secondly, their purpose is to communicate. They are to be messengers. Look at verse 7. Of the angels, He says, He makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. Again, Hebrew poetry, parallel. 
The angels are the ministers. We're not talking about ministers. We're not talking about angels. And then somehow the minister, me, is that angel. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying here, there might be other texts we could go to to look at that, although you have your doubts. There, there are here, his comparison is the angels are the ones who are the ministers. The angels are the one who bring the message. Go to chapter 2, verse 2. For since the message declared by angels proved to be a re- reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. How shall we escape such a great salvation? How does does the message come? We're not, I mean, we, we could delve in this for a long period of time, but we could at least say this, right? When the announcement of the coming of Christ into this world comes, who brings it? In every instance, it is an angel. To Zechariah, to Joseph, to Mary, to the shepherds in the field. It is entrusted to angels to bring the great message. For unto you is born this day a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And as we go through this series on angels, we will see it over and over and over again. That God sends them with a message. They come from His presence. They come with his word. They come with a message to God's people. A message of warning, a message of judgment, a a message of hope, a message of assurance, a message of command. A message of power, a message of force. They come as God's messengers. They are the means by which God communicates with his people. And that's Old and New Testament. Think, for example, when Paul and Silas are locked in prison or when Peter and John are locked there. Who comes? Thursday morning Bible study. An angel. It's interesting. God didn't just say, God didn't just say of himself, okay, I as the Holy Spirit am going to go down and unlock the door. He sends an angel. You go do this. So we have numerous things, their purpose, to worship, to communicate, to be messengers. All of these things we'll come back to in in a certain form. They're there to serve. Let's go back to Hebrews 1.14. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve? Who? For the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. Angels are there to serve us to minister to us somebody reflected after last Sunday night's message about the fall of Satan perhaps this is it me me serve that no way I'm way too good I'm way too beautiful I'm way too knowledgeable to serve that piece of clay I will not submit. Remember the the words of the Lord through Samuel to Saul? Rebellion is the sin of witchcraft. Comes from the devil. 
comes from the pit of hell. This is Satan's fall, isn't it? Pride and arrogance. I'm going to serve. But this is their stated purpose. That angelic host from the very presence of God comes to us to minister to us, to be God's messengers, to minister. Remember when Jesus is in the desert after the 40 days? He's been tempted. It's been a tough 40 days in the limited flesh and blood he is. What does God do? He sends angels to minister. When Christ is in the garden the night before the crucifixion, that which was like drops of blood falling from his face, does he in agony? God sent angels to minister. That's what God does for you and I. See, Hebrews 2 said he shared our flesh and blood so that he could become like us in every way. What does that mean? Like us in every way. You and I have angels serving us. So did Christ while he was upon this earth. That's the point. God has done. Lastly, these angels, these mighty ones, these knowledgeable ones, these spirits, these beings that are able to be transformable are also given the task of protecting. Psalm 91. Psalm 91. You'll recognize it, I trust, once I read it. Verse 11. He who dwells in the... I'll start with one, though. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Verse 11. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. It's the line that was sought to be used against Christ. But it's a truth. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. These spirits are there to protect and to guard God's people. Careful. The text didn't say you have a guardian angel. His name's Freddie. You have a guardian angel. Her name's Tabitha doesn't say that. Why would God limit you to one? You were so precious to him that he sent his son to die for you. 
Do you think he's just going to put at your disposal for your protection one angel? Or is it the host of heaven that comes as the warriors of God to stand guard over his people so that no one can snatch you out of his hand? My friends, think much. Think much about what your Father has done for you and how far your Father goes to demonstrate His love, His grace, His care, His compassion, His protection over you. There is a whole created realm called angels to worship Him, bring His messages, to serve us, to protect us. Someday, in glory, we shall both sing glory to His name. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank You for Your Word. It's glorious reminder of these beings. And as we go now, Father, through Your Word, as we see how You made use, Father, You call us not to worship them, Even the Apostle John in his revelation had to be reminded, don't worship, don't worship the angels. No, Father, we worship you, the one who has created these beings in such a wonderful, glorious way to be used by you for us. Father, may we May we appreciate afresh that beautiful statement, he was made a little lower than the angels. And to see the love and humility of our Savior once again. Yet, Father, the one who came in such humility is the one who is crowned. King of kings and Lord of lords. And all the host of heaven sing his glorious praise. In Christ's name, God's people say again, Amen.